and welcome to Art Waves, a podcast about arts and culture in small rural towns. My name is Marian Myers, and I'm curious to learn more about the arts and the impact they have on my small town of Port Perry in the rural township of Skugog, Ontario, in the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of Skugog Island. I've discovered a wide variety of passionate people creating, coaching, and connecting in my community. And today we're talking to Lori Korkula, who is a painter. I am looking forward to this. Great, Lori. So tell me some of your background. How did you come to be a visual artist, a painter? I think that really it started with my mother, my parents. They're both creative people. I grew up in a small northwestern Ontario town, 3100, so I'm a small town kind of gal. Um, And my mom was a painter, and my father uh, works with wood and always was making things. And we grew up with a pencil in our hand and a sketchbook right beside us. Yeah. Yeah. And so what? how do you go from a small rural town like that and get yourself out there as a painter what what happened what it was not such a direct route for me uh because I became an art teacher uh first I did actually I didn't want to be a teacher at all because my parents are both educators and uh I swore up and down I wouldn't be one I went to college for equine studies oh because you love horses I love horses yeah And while I was working there, I decided this was not for me. This is not the way I wanted to spend my life and decided I'd go back to university. And my, I guess at that time, second love was art. So I went in for a fine art degree. Where did you do that? I started (laughs) at Lakehead University. And while I was there, I had an art history professor who said to me, you love art history? I did. And she said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, where should I be? And she said, I don't know, you should be like at U of T or something. And I thought, oh, okay. So I transferred out. <laughs> so I went to U of T. That's funny. And I had a, I really loved U of T. It was at the downtown campus. And I thought I wanted to be an art history professor. Uh, and then I Lori, saw I have to make a confession. I wanted to do that too. Did you? Yeah. Art history is so wonderful. History. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, and in my high school classrooms, there were kids who were passionate about art history too. And yeah. others who were not so much so. But, um, yeah, I saw a movie, Stand and Deliver, mm-hmm. about a teacher yeah, who changed kids' lives. And I thought, that's what I want to do. So I went to UBC for art training, to be an art teacher there. And uh, my first two years of teaching was in a small little community uh, called Nacusp in the middle of the Kootenai Mountains. Wow, cool. And how did it you was. get back to Ontario? Uh, the person that I was replacing came back for their job. And at that time, I was really missing my family. So I thought, okay, I'm ready to return to Ontario. I had a bit of an adventure. So I didn't return to Northwestern Ontario. I came to Toronto and I had a friend who connected me to somebody else through horses. <laughs> they were all horse connections. And through that, I found out there was a job in uh, Pickering. And I applied for the art job and there we go. Yeah. So, and yeah. it was in high school. It was in high school. Yeah. yeah. 
And um, so tell me, being a high school art teacher and teaching art, um, I'm really curious about how you managed throughout the pandemic. I just, I know it was hard for all students. It was hard for all teachers, but I think for visual art, wow, what did you do? (laughs) Well, it was a huge challenge for me because I'm not so tech friendly. And so suddenly here I was online and trying to work with technology. Thank goodness. Most of the kids that I work with are kind hearted and were forgiving of all the mistakes I made. Um, but I really wanted to connect with them. I really wanted to offer them something interesting and worth getting up in the morning for, um, to feel a sense of community. So I tried really hard to make the lessons interesting and engaging. And to do that, I had to make friends with a webcam. That was, that was challenging. And I started with, um, my son, my oldest son loves fishing. And so he had a webcam that he used to film (laughs) fishing. So I used that to begin with so that I could sort of put it on my chest so that they could see my hands so that I was drawing and they, we had a voiceover, um, so they could hear what I was saying while I was drawing and they Mm -hmm. could see what I was doing. So then I posted that. I posted it on YouTube. I never thought I'd have things on YouTube, but I do. And that worked really well. And then I went and bought a webcam that was a little bit more manageable to use. And I used the webcam a lot. So you say you ended up posting it on YouTube, but so did the students watch while you were doing the initial recording? Like yes. was the class live? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And then I would post it. So that they could go back and watch it step by step or stop it so that they could then draw and then make it go again. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. So now you've talked about your challenges. What were their challenges? I think feeling really disconnected. Mm-hmm. So trying to engage them was really hard. And when we were, when I was talking to students on the laptop, I was talking to like little pictures, those little icons Mm -hmm. I was going to call them emojis they're not emojis avatars that's what they are Um, so I was talking to nobody a lot of the time so it was really hard to get any kind of feedback about what was working and what wasn't and then and then you find yourself rambling on and wonder what the heck (laughs) is anybody listening to me well I would say that is anybody (laughs) anybody out there anybody listening to me and then they'd all type to me right yeah there's a little thing there I'm still here yes I'm keep going okay (laughs) (laughs) so it was bizarre and strange and it was very hard to feel connected because I think that in my classroom that's one of the things that I like so much about being a classroom teacher is that sense of community that you get in that classroom and uh, everybody sort of is connected and knows each other it happens through time a little bit um and it was hard to and they're looking over each other's shoulders what you're doing they're talking about each other's work and of course that goes away that that was a huge part of learning that maybe many of us didn't really realize we knew but it really was emphasized for us Mm -hmm. that how much is learned not just by the teacher teaching directly but by who you're sitting beside and what you say to each other and how you connect with another person so yeah and that was 
that was hard to foster. I had a couple of classes that had been together for a long time, grade 11s and 12s, um, and they were much more willing to do that, that we'd, everybody would stop drawing and everybody would take a turn going through showing everybody on the on their camera what they've mm -hmm. been doing. So, and I think other teachers who are better at technology than me figured out some other ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you, I, I can imagine that they struggled to find materials. Uh, materials, when it first, when the lockdown first happened, it was, I think, at the... Uh, the end of our March break, and nobody really knew that it was going to happen. Um, and so students went home with no art materials. So some some students would have gone home with their art kits, mm -hmm. and others not at all. They, they left it in their locker. Or they left or, it at school, yeah. yep. And so when we all came back together, then we didn't know, nobody had the same materials available. Some people had more, some people had less. And then... I was trying to come up with interesting projects that people could do with things that you would have at home, sort of common material. So I know we did some collage and people didn't have glue. So they students would make the collage and take a picture of it and submit it to me online with the picture, uh, but they couldn't glue it down or anything. And then it was not permanent. Yeah. We did a lot of mixed media work <laughs> at that beginning part because... There was, there was such a odd combination of supplies that different people had. Sometimes it was interesting what people could do with nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of fun, but at the same time, it was definitely challenging to come up with the idea of what we could do depend, no matter what materials you had available. Yeah. And then I, there were ups and downs too, or hills and valleys, yeah. I would say, yeah. to opening, reopening, going back in, going back yes, home. there was. So, and then stores opened again, but even then there were supply chain issues yes. um, for arts materials too. So yeah. um, what kind of things did you go through? How did you well, manage? Well, after we figured it, after we went through that first experience, then what we did is we made sure that everybody who was in our class to begin with got art kits. Mm -hmm. And we stacked those art kits with things that we, we purchased those art kits from somewhere else. But then we um, added things that we knew that we could use or we wanted. And people went home back and forth with those art kits so that in case we were in a lockdown situation or something again, they had some of those materials and supplies at home. And that worked. Yeah, that worked really well. And then you mentioned that, okay, you, the, the students that were 11 and 12, you, they'd been with you for a while. So what happened with the nines and the tens? They like, were probably some of the hardest people to create a sense of community and to connect with. They were the, the nines in particular were the, for me, were the most reluctant to turn their cameras on and let me see them. Mm -hmm. um, it felt really uncomfortable to me that I don't know that I would have recognized students that I taught if I was walking down the street. Um, and when we were back at school, kids were coming to my classroom and introducing themselves to me. They were, oh, I was in your class. And <laughs> yeah. because I'd rarely yeah. seen them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was sort of a strange kind of experience. And you, you, they would know a fair bit about me, but I knew very little about them. And that felt very uncomfortable to me because I always really try hard 
to know something about the person that I'm teaching. Yeah. And often that comes out when you're watching people do their own art, particularly young people, because they tend to draw these things that they've been for drawing sure. for You'd a long have time. Conversation. And, yeah. Right. About what they were drawing or what were they thinking or, but I wouldn't see very much process. Those cameras were off. Mm-hmm. Right. So I would take time and say, okay, everybody's going to have to show me something, turn your camera on and turn and show me your, what you're working on. Okay. And then I would just go through the list or whatever. Some kids wouldn't even do that. They would submit it to me in Google classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a part of art that's about sharing and is about letting your work be seen. Mm-hmm. And that happens in the classroom simply because you are in the classroom moving around and you sit beside somebody in the classroom that I had. They sat at large tables. You get so, over it pretty quickly when you're an art student, right? Yeah, that, and that, you just, you're seen just because yeah. people are moving around and sitting beside you, whereas that did not happen Yeah, online. Yeah. And grade nine too, I guess some of the students in the art class in grade nine, it's not necessarily... Uh, something they think they're pursuing and want to take for all of their four years. So they're testing it out. They're seeing what it's like. So it's not quite like the commitment that the 11s and 12s are making where they've made some choices. That's right. That's right. And I think too, that in a classroom, um, when you get in there and everybody's starting in the same place, like in grade nine, um, you can sort of see that everybody is similar to you, or you can see that the skill level isn't that different. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's one or two people who are really strong because they're already really interested. Um, but there's a commonality and you wouldn't see that online. And yeah. so if you were feeling a little bit unsure or hesitant, it would be something that would be very hard to show. Yeah. Because you didn't, you wouldn't know. Yeah. Lori, how, how did you keep your art practice going over all those years of teaching so I think that um I used to always think of myself as a jack of all trades and master of none to be a high school art teacher you have to be relatively good um at a lot of different things so when I turned 50 I thought okay how am I going to commemorate this and I was getting tired of thinking that I was a jack of all trades and I decided that the year I turned 50... Wait a second. Go back, a, go back a minute. What do you mean by jack of all trades? What is it you... What are all the different things you have to teach well, can, when you're teaching art? Well, and that that is... There's so many things. And I think to be a really good art teacher, you have to be interested in trying different things and um, being open to new ideas. So... I have to teach drawing skills. So, and I would change what I would draw with. So you have to know how to work with Conte. You have to know how to work with a pencil. You have to know how to work with different kinds of charcoals. You have to know how to do watercolors. You have to be able to paint in acrylic. Um, You have to be able to teach the steps about how do we look at things and differently when we're working in paint versus pencil. Because a lot of people, when they first start learning how to paint, they try to draw the paintings. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a shift that happens. Um, I used to work in clay. I had a bone marrow transplant, so I don't work in clay anymore. But we used to work in clay. Um, I tried to work with a sculptural element, um, with plaster a fair bit. Um, I worked with waxes. 
and we do mixed media pieces. There was a period of time in a different school that I worked in that we were trying to go out into the forest and use what we found to create pieces. So it, it does change. Yeah. Yeah. So, But then, okay, so now back to... Uh, yeah, you thought, as an okay. artist and saying, okay, jack of all yeah. trades. I want to, I want to, I want to be something, not just jack of all trades. And so the year I turned 50, so it was, I guess maybe part of it was, I felt very confident as a teacher. I wasn't looking or searching the same way anymore for things that I could do that were interesting. So I could maybe focus on myself a little bit. And it just so happened to coincide with the year I was turning 50 and I decided that I'd paint 50 paintings. Mm. And so that was a big beginning. And I started partway through the year, so I was really focused. And I painted with intention. And I was fortunate that that year I also took a workshop when I was in BC, because I go back to BC regularly, um, with a painter named Mike Spob who is an excellent teacher, who's an excellent painter. And everything he said just made sense to me. And it seemed to everything clicked into place. And I was super excited about what he was saying and what I could do. And I don't know, that's, that was for me the, the big beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I've had this discussion before about when you're a painter and somebody says, well, what do you do? you say, well, I'm a painter. And then their first question, you mean like walls, like house painting? <laughs> and then you go, no, 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 no. I'm an artist. Nope. I no, say, you still no, say I still I'm a painter. No, I don't. I say I paint. And then I say, and they say, oh, what do you paint walls? Nope. Landscapes. Yeah. I paint landscapes. But yeah. I'm, I'm trying artist to, word I'm is trying the... to get you to say I'm an artist. <laughs> it's, it's a process, I guess. Right. Uh, but it feels very specific. I'm a landscape painter kind of artist feels to me more open and maybe mm. I'm being more specific right now but yeah I paint landscapes yeah. and beautiful <laughs> landscapes at that well, yes lots of Ontario in your work yeah lots of Ontario a fair bit of BC I have a little gallery in BC that carries my work so some of the mountain paintings go that way mm -hmm. um, and I just this summer had a show out there uh, because I do love BC. It's beautiful. How can, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but yes, most of the paintings that I do are from this area, this neck of the woods, and I like hiking. So I go out hiking with my camera, my phone, I guess now, um, sketchbook. Um, I do some plein air painting. So my car that's parked over there has a paint box in the back and I'm ready to go if there's yeah. something and not that you complete the work uh, outside while you're working, or do you sometimes? I do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this summer I was in Killarney, so I did quite a few little completed paintings. But because they're plain air, they're smaller paintings. And sometimes if I do a painting that I really, really like, I will take that smaller painting back home and I will work on something larger from it in the studio because yeah. it's not manageable to do something 24 by 36 yeah. inches because usually you have a small window of opportunity two three hours sort of three hours you're pushing it because the light changes mm -hmm. and because I paint in acrylics sometimes the paint is drying depending on the weather conditions 
So sometimes painting in acrylics can be a little bit challenging in hot, dry weather. Yeah, because yeah. it's just drying too fast. It's drying and... too fast. And I'm not great with the retarder that you can use. <laughs> yeah. I was trying it recently. My painting was sliding down my... <laughs> Oh, okay, that's too, too slow. Too much retarder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's too slow. I need you yeah. to dry before it. Yes, before you run off. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think? You know, you've talked about living, coming from a small community, yeah. and even out west, you were living in a, in small, a small community. And yeah. what do you think rural communities like Skugog could do to support creatives in their pursuit of um you know in their various stages of being artists i think it already really is i think small towns are wonderful places and they are places where people know each other so there's a ability to come together and maybe connect people who might have a harder time finding each other a little bit in a larger community um but Already there's a lot to be offered in Port Perry and Scugog. There are so many opportunities. And there's an openness that I think that is here and a willingness to look and consider that I don't know if you would find to the same degree in a larger metropolitan area. Yeah, I wonder if... Um... Being in a larger community, if you'd feel as comfortable, like applying to be on like Skugog Studio Tour, for example, if there was an equivalent in the city, like, because in the city, you feel like, oh, I've got to go to a gallery yeah. to show my work or I've got to. And so therefore you have to have a certain body of work and you have to have got your skill level developed before you go and do that. Or you're paying a lot of money to maybe apply and be in one of a kind or something like yeah. that or yeah, Toronto outdoor. And I don't know if people always realize how much money artists will put in to be in jury shows or to be um, at the one of a kind show or the Nathan Phillips square show, all those things people are paying for those spots and spaces mm -hmm. and it does mount up. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's really expensive it is if it's one of a kind or Toronto outdoor yeah, and big, Nathan big. Phillips. Yeah. They're very, very expensive. Yeah. Um, the, um, ones like, um, Lake Skugog studio tour, it's really what the fees the artists pay basically pay for all the marketing and promotion yeah. of the tour. It's like a joint marketing budget is what they're creating, but it's still not, um, uh, insignificant amount for yeah. somebody to commit to and no time. it's true and i think maybe in small towns there's an opportunity then if you're just sort of i don't know a fledgling artist if you're just starting to put your work out there whether that's that you've got skillful work or whether you're just starting to learn the ropes um but it does make it more manageable to enter these things or to participate in these kinds of opportunities that are here mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah jury shows as you say yeah. and solo exhibitions finding yes. small space um you know the, we've got a beautiful art gallery here in the camp farndale in the library yeah it's a big space and yeah. and an artist has probably got to work for a full year to 
to have the amount of work that would have be a body to... of work that would be in there. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And not be showing it in the meantime or selling it in the meantime, because <laughs> you know, that, that happened, you've got to set things aside. And meanwhile, you've got a couple of other shows to do and woo, and you're trying to have a cohesive show. It's... But if you look at the um, area of Port Perry, there is a lot to be offered in a very, very small, small place. And I don't know if larger communities actually have quite as much to offer to the same number of people. Yeah, yeah. And now, how do you combine, I think this is one of the challenges that a lot of um, artists have, creatives in general have, of, you know, whether you're a musician, whether you're um, a visual artist, um, whether you're an actor, it's, you know, there's time that you're spending doing your craft, but there's time you have to spend promoting or getting that job or getting that gig or getting that show or pricing that work and well how do you manage it how do you allocate your time or your efforts I think for me um, because I was teaching I became pretty careful about my time and if you were close to me we're in contact then you would know on Saturday and Sunday mornings, you would never call me before one o'clock because I would get up and I loved it when the house was quiet and I'd start painting. During the week when I was working, um, I would try to have a, a period of time sometime in the week that was a creative time or something to promote my work, whether that was trying to do find images, go through pictures I've taken or sketches that I'd taken, whether it was looking and doing a whole bunch of more sketches, trying to see what I was going to do next, prepping canvases, putting things on Instagram, which I still try to do and I struggle when with. When you remember. Yeah. When I remember is exactly right. Or I'll take pictures and I'll think, okay, I'm going to put that in Instagram and then I don't. Yeah. Um, and then even looking at other people's work and thinking about pricing or going to shows, other people's shows and looking to see what other people are doing. Um, so it, it was really a conscious effort to try to make a little bit of time. Now, for me, things have shifted because I just recently retired uh, and I have more time. Retired from teaching. Retired from teaching. Let's now clarify, I have more time. not yes. from teaching. Well, it was, that was what made it a little bit exciting to be retiring from teaching was suddenly I had all this time and this opportunity to start looking at painting with more, I don't know, deliberation. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just something that I did on the side or squeezed in. It could be everything. Your focus, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm still grappling with the time because it almost feels like I have too much time so there's an adjustment period right now <laughs> yeah yeah it, yeah I think uh you know you'll find that that gets filled up pretty quickly <laughs> yeah. well it will because I'm supply teaching yeah <laughs> my phone's ringing off the hook um so but that's kind of nice so I went back to my former school my old school um and it was so nice People were so welcoming. Kids were running out of the in the hallway, so happy to see me. Yeah. It felt lovely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, it it really was. It made me feel good. Yeah. Yeah. So now though, it's it's my time a little bit. My time sounds a little selfish, but really it is. And see see what I can do. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure what my next step is. 
Well, and it hasn't been that long. No. Um, so, you know, it, it, I think that will probably take a while till you get into what that pattern is or that habit is, isn't it? Yeah, probably. I've noticed that I'm not posting as much on Instagram, for example. I thought, oh, look at that. I was being more structured and more regular. And now I'm not doing it as much when I have more time. So I think, I'm, yes, I think you're right. I'm going to develop some kind of a system and make it, make it work. Yeah. A different way yeah. to get organized yeah. and yeah. And... But Schuylkill Arts has been incredibly wonderful for me since I've joined them. They've helped so much. You've helped so much in marketing, thinking about marketing and pricing, putting my work up there for other people to see yeah. uh, opportunities for teaching and engaging with the community. So yeah, well, that's and been you, wonderful. You're a really good example of, of one of the creatives that's taken advantage of an arts council where you've, you entered in the jury show numerous yeah. times over the years while you were teaching. Yeah. And so we saw your work and we saw a uh, customer's reaction to your work so that we were able to say, Lori, you got to do a solo show, you know, and, you did <laughs> and a I solo said, no, show. yeah, you said no, <laughs> that's right. I said no. And then my son all the way home, once we drove back was like, mom, you're crazy. Mom, you got to do this mom. So I had said to you, cause he said that at the show, when you sort of said, we've got to do a show, solo show. And I said, no, I don't think so. He was hissing in my ear. No, mom, you better do this. <laughs> I said, well, can I think about it? So I called you when I got home, that 20-minute drive back to, you know, North Oshawa. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, all right. But it was instrumental for me. Yeah. And it, it changed the way I was thinking about my painting, too, because I wasn't just painting. Now I was starting to think about a body of work. Yeah. I was thinking about connections. I was thinking about how were paintings going to relate to each other. I well, was... and it, I find that's really interesting. That's one of the things I really like about in our space at Schuylkill Arts where there's this one area that's for solo shows and it holds what, 20, 24 paintings yeah, or maybe, you know, could be 12 big paintings and five sculptures and like there's ways of mixing it and yeah. putting artists together, but it's mostly solo shows and it's, you know, the people, people coming in really like to see that whole body of work and we find that there's people coming back that you know that may not even be their taste that work but it's really cool to see a whole body of work yeah, together and you know it's a beautiful space that mm -hmm. you have and it's really lovely where the sort of that show will happen at the end of the gallery but it was an incredible moment for me too to see it because I've been working on those paintings because for about a year it was a year I think of painting deliberately for the show and I'd never seen my work all put up and I was hoping that things would relate and I was hoping that it would look good together but they were all propped up around all around the edges of my house we've been living with them and then to see it all hung was a lovely moment yeah yeah and you were the one who made decisions about what things were going and where and that was really nice well, and too. I, I think it, it was took some responsibility away <laughs> yeah it was I think it was Angela Hennessy that hung the show oh, she's well, been our I preparator for for quite a number of years and she hangs the shows and she has a totally different perspective and I we have artists that want to come in and hang their own show or they give very specific directions about how they want it hung 
But I try to encourage them, no, let, let Angela do it because she yeah. might give you a totally different look and feel. And yeah. she really is. I didn't great have at an it. idea in my head about how it should go. And it looked like wonderful. I thought yeah. it looked fantastic. I was like, oh my gosh, good. And maybe at that moment I would have said, okay, maybe I am an artist. <laughs> you are. There you go. You are. You are an artist. And now you show your work regularly there which is another opportunity that the space has is for people who to show on an ongoing basis there as yeah. part of our resident artist group and that's a just a different um uh, platform too because you can build an audience that can be coming back and and it's exciting to there. feel like you have a permanent place and mm -hmm. it feels nice to feel connected to a larger community of not just painters um but you know, people who work in fabric, people who work in clay, but there, I do feel connected to mm -hmm. the other paint artists that are in the space. Yeah. And you've yeah. since come out and been, um, you know, a, a demonstrator during culture days yeah. and, uh, you know, helping people to participate and do their own paintings and things like that. And then you've, you've done other things. And then that's, that's really fun because that's part of getting to know the artists. And that's part two of being in this small community is making those connections and feeling those connections. Being in a small community is a lovely thing. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, I miss it. Lori. Yes. Yeah. It is. It's great. Well, thank you for joining My us pleasure. today, Lori. It was great. How are people going to see your work if they're not right here in Skugog and visiting the Skugog art space? How do they see your work? Where, how do they connect with you? Um, I have a spot on Instagram, so you could look at Lori Corcola Painting, and it will take you right there. Okay, so let's spell it out for people. So uh, it's L-O-R-I, yeah. and then Corcola, K-O-R-K-A-K-O-L-A, yeah. Corcola. Yeah. Okay, and Painting. Yeah, Lori Corkola painting. painting. That'll get Instagram. And then if they go to the scugogarts.ca um, website and all of our members who have provided us with the information, we've got a page about every artist. And you're one of those Perfect. as our resident artist. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So that's how they can see your work too. Because our, um, like all of your work that's in the shop, if it's in the shop, it's also in our online shop too. Right. So that's a great way to look at all the work, not just your page on our website too. So Right. Good. Cool. And so Instagram, that's the Instagram. place to find you. Yeah. I'm on Facebook too, but really that's a little bit of a hodgepodge. Whereas Instagram is my artwork. Yeah. Seems to be a favorite for visual artists. Again, it was my sons that said, mom, you got to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so chi megwech to our audience for spending time with us today. And thanks to The Wanted for their song Before the Fall and the Ontario Trillium Foundation for the grant that got this done. Visit scugogarts.ca to get the scoop on what we're up to and hit the subscribe button to join us every Tuesday for another episode of Art Waves. Art Waves.